are traveling with uh, Jesus uh, toward Jerusalem, uh, towards Easter, and towards our week of uh, the Passion. So we've been mindful, hopefully, of how we are living our faith, how we are engaging it, and how we are listening to the Spirit in our own lives in, in these days. So this piece, uh, I'm going to just jump ahead to this. The, Jesus has sent out the 70. So again, we remember that he's operating with more than just the 12 disciples. He has a number of people who are following him. So 70 he sends out in pairs to towns that he is going to visit and proclaim the kingdom of God is drawing near. They have come back and they are amazed. Things have gone just super well and they are very, very excited. And Jesus listens to them and then he prays. And in the prayer he says this, you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. That's part of a prayer. That a number of the people who have responded have just been day-to-day people who are listening, who are open, receptive to God's word. And a lot of people who are the learneds of the day, the people with uh, lots of degrees, they are listening and are not that impressed and are saying no. So Jesus prays and thanks God, his Father, for the reality that people who are looking honestly and have open hearts are receiving. You have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. So why is that important? Because all of a sudden, a learned man, a lawyer, stands up. Jesus then, just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus has been teaching. In that environment, the teacher is standing, the pupils are seated. At the end of it, a lawyer, a PhD, one of the learned, stands up, which was okay, and he's now going to make a question. So he questions Jesus, and the key word there is he tests Jesus. It's not an honest question. It's a question where he wants to catch Jesus up. He wants to debate him. He wants to see where he will go with this. So he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we note again the focus on what must I do. So it's something that I do. I'm in control. If I act in a certain way, I'm going to receive eternal life. So the lawyer is saying, what is that action that I must do so that I might gain the prize? So it's interesting at that point that Jesus um, doesn't really interact with him on this question of doing or grace. He just receives the question honestly as he asks, and Jesus responds. And so he says to him, well, what is written in the law? In fact, the text says, what do you read there? And so Jesus is saying, what do you read there? He's probably pointing to the man's phylacteries that he's got on his wrist or on his forehead. He has the scriptures. The learneds of the day, scribes, Pharisees, would actually be carrying uh, the text as reminders. So what do you read there, Jesus says. And the man says, well, uh, the key verses are we are to love God and we are to love our neighbor. 
those are texts taken from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, particularly Deuteronomy 6, 7, 8. The key of the Old Testament, we are to love God with our heart, soul, mind. Love God completely. That's what those texts mean. So the lawyer says, well, that's love God and neighbor. That's the core. So Jesus' response at the end of that is, well, do this and live. Do this and you will experience eternal life. Just do it. Underlying all of that is God's grace. We'll get to that a little bit later. But right now, it's do that. That's a good beginning. Love God with all your heart. And if you do that, you're then going to love your neighbor and you will be on the way. I am the way, Jesus says. I am the truth. I am the resurrection. Join me on the way. And the way is the way of love. We're told that the lawyer, still going after him, we note one further question to test or justify himself, says then, who is my neighbor? So the learned one is still going after Jesus. It's interesting, learned one is just is a built on the phrase the law, the one who understands the law, the learned, the one who learns and understands and passes the law on. This one, the lawyer, then asks, well, who is my neighbor? And so that sets up the question. Who is the neighbor for us? Who is the neighbor for him? How do we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and how do we love our neighbor then, the individual asks. So it's not a bad question. It's a question that we continue to sit with today. Who, who do we love? Who do we not love? In our world, there's a lot of fear going on, fear going on right now because of the coronavirus, but fear also in terms of who we come in contact with, uh, people from other countries, the big issue of the immigrant, even though most Canadians are immigrants from somewhere, I'm an immigrant from Northern Ireland, we raise those questions in terms of who do we feel safe around, who do we express kindness to, who do we love, so it's not an old question. It remains one for us today. So interesting to that then, Jesus responds with this parable that we know the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is his response to the question of who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells the story, and here's a map. We, we see that uh, Jesus is in the um, Judean hills, not at Jerusalem yet, but he's on the way. Uh, from Capernaum, moving south to Jerusalem. And the story goes with an individual, uh, two, two individuals, priests and Levites, will look at them, who are moving from the hills of Jerusalem all the way down to Jericho, which is in the valley, uh, the Jordan Valley, one of the lowest places on the planet. So the person is going from the hills all the way down into the Jordan Valley. It's a journey of about 20 miles, and it's a dangerous journey. It's got lots of turns and bends. I remember being um, on that road with students from Tyndale, and at one point the bus driver, we stopped, we had a small bus, and it was a bathroom break. And the way that was, there was nowhere to go to the bathroom other than nature, so we just stopped, and the men went around one side of the hill, and the women went around the other side of the hill. That's how it was and is in that area. 
It's a forsaken place. So the individual who makes his journey down, one could say, well, that was kind of a silly move in the first place. You shouldn't be making that journey by yourself, so whatever happens to you, good luck. It's a tough place. So Jesus goes on. Two individuals come. The first is a priest. The priest has served in the temple, and he's making his way perhaps down to a Jericho. Maybe he lives in Jericho. We don't know. But to be a priest and to be clean, ceremonial clean, you need to go through lots of exercises. And one of them is that you don't come in contact with whatever that is possibly dead. So that will make you unclean. So the priest is making his way. He sees this individual. He's on the side of the road. He wonders, what should I do? And he deliberately, we're told, crosses to the other side of the path, the road, to make his way around the beaten man. He does not want to see. He's a priest. He's a religious. But he does not want to see the individual in pain. This person is hurting, could still well be alive. We find out that he is, but the priest doesn't know at this point. Decides to do nothing. He doesn't want to see. He doesn't want to take responsibility. And oftentimes in our own lives, that's kind of where we're at. We don't want to see. We don't want to see the reality of what's happening. We don't want to see the poverty. We don't want to see the pain. We don't want to see the people living on the streets and who are homeless. We don't want to go there. We want to live our comfortable lives, be sheltered from that, so in our own way we can cross the street and go around. So are we any different than this priest? We have to ask ourselves. Well, maybe that's one off, so the priest moves on. And then the next person comes along, and this one is a Levite. So this a Levite is another learned. He's not a priest, but he's a religious. Maybe he's going down to Jericho to give a lecture. He's coming from Jerusalem. He's going down. He needs to get there on time. He's got his own agenda. People are waiting for him to speak. So he has no time to get engaged on this reality on the road. So he also crosses to the other side, does not want to see because he wants to get where he wants to go. Hmm. So both the priest and the Levite do not want to see and cross on. Remember, Jesus is telling this story, who is my neighbor? Those are the first two. Stories go, parables go, the listeners are listening. They know there's going to be a third person. It always goes in threes. So now there's going to be a third. They're waiting for it. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, okay, this is the third. But here's the surprise. The third is a Samaritan. Oh, man. The third is the enemy. The third is the one we want nothing to do with. The Jewish people, are, they have nothing to do with the Samaritans. Samaritans are the people who ended up being brought into the land after the time of the exile, during that time to repopulate the whole area they're non-Jews intentionally by the government so that a new people will grow up here that will not be loyal to Israel. That was the whole point of repopulating the country. These are the Samaritans. The Samaritans are the enemy. But the Samaritan now comes along. And what does the Samaritan do? Well, he goes to the man. He wants to see what's happening. He does not go away. 
he goes, he wants to see, and we are told that he is filled with compassion, filled with pity. And the word that is used there is the word that's normally used of Jesus, phlegnazomai, which means being churned up in your gut. It's a physical response to need. And so this Samaritan is filled with compassion, even as Jesus is filled with compassion when he goes and he touches the lepers, for example. When he touches those who are hurting and are in pain, he engages them. That is what the Samaritan is doing here, really engaging. Binds his wounds as best he can, pours on wine with some alcohol. That helps to clean. Puts on oil, then puts him on his own animal, and then takes him to an inn. He uses two coins, two denarii, to pay for the individual. That was a lot of money in, a, in an inn. That would pay for several weeks' care for an individual in an inn. And then he also says, if more is needed, I'll pay when I come back, which, by the way, means he had good credit, which means he was a person who they respected. They liked this guy, even though he was a Samaritan. So the whole thing is building towards this individual, the Samaritan, showing real kindness, real compassion, real mercy to an, to an individual, going out of his way, changing his plans to care for this person. And so the question for us, you see, is who are we? Who are we in the story? Are we like the priest and the Levite who pass by on the other side? Downtown Toronto, when we come across a guy who's lying over a vent, he's got a little can there to take some coins. Are we like the ones who pass by on the other side? I've done that. I've also at times thrown in a coin. What do we do? These angels go by. But the Samaritan does not. So it's a, a story that is surprising to the listeners. They're surprised at this. So now what is Jesus going to do? So Jesus responds and he asks the lawyer, well then who acted as neighbor? He still doesn't say. Who acted as neighbor? And the lawyer, he's got to say, well, the one, I guess, who showed mercy. Who showed pity. And then Jesus responds and says, go and do likewise. He never answers the question direct. Who is my neighbor? Well, your neighbor is this, 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 and this. He tells the story, and then he says, go and do likewise. The lawyer had said at the beginning, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus finally responds, go and do likewise. Doesn't get into grace doesn't get into all that. You're asking me a question about what must I do? How do I live in my life? Well, I'm telling you, you are to live in love and you are to show mercy and compassion. Go and do likewise. Because we as Christians can hear this and we can say it's all based on grace. It has nothing to do with me. It's all with Jesus, which is true. And then meanwhile, we go, don't go and do likewise. We don't go and show love. Jesus isn't allowing us that. What does Jesus do when he talks about the end times in Matthew chapter 25? He says, well, hey, 
Everybody's going to be judged. Well, how are you judged? Well, let me tell you another story he goes on to say. There are those who saw all kinds of people in need. People were thirsty. People were hungry. People needed clothes. And some people went and did nothing about it. And there are some who went and did a lot about it. So are you sheep or are you goats? The goats did nothing. Judgment. The sheep did. Showed love and mercy and kindness. Receive your eternal reward. It's going and doing, right? So Jesus says a fair bit about that. So we can't let ourselves off the hook on some sort of cheap discipleship, which is saying, I don't need to do anything. The whole book of James is telling us to do. Not that it's based on doing, but if we really love God, then we will act in a way that is in accordance with who Jesus is. So it's an interesting exchange. Who acted as neighbor? Well, I guess the Samaritan. Well, you go and do likewise. Very interesting response. And, of course, it's a wonderful story. The story is only found in the Gospel of Luke, so we're thankful for Luke for sharing that story with us. How do we show kindness? How do we show kindness in Western Park Baptist Church on a corner where we are surrounded by all kinds of people from all over the world, many of them of different faith traditions than we are. They are not, quote, Christians. They don't understand our theology. They don't know what it even looks like inside this building. They go by it, they have no idea. All they will know is how we engage them in the community. Do we show love or not? We can talk theology, that won't matter. Do we show love? So that's a question. So I like this statement by a, a woman commentator, Sharon Wren. She says, no one can simply have a neighbor. One must also be a neighbor. Neighboring is a two-way street. We have to be a neighbor. We have to show love. We have to show mercy. Be a neighbor. In many ways, it's, it's really what we've done this week by canceling our service. And I mean, there, there's a risk in doing that. We all ra recognize that. But we are trying to protect particularly our vulnerable people in our church community, those who are older, those who already have underlying conditions. Now, maybe they wouldn't have come anyway, but some would. And we want to help. Go and do love. Not everybody in our community will agree with our decision. So be it. Go and do love. One must be a neighbor. So where do we go with that? Well, the first thing I think, Berkeley, in the end we will be judged not by the creed we hold, but by the life we live. Not by the creed, but by the life. Interesting, at Tyndale, you're surrounded by young seminarians and you're taking lots and lots of classes. It ends up a lot about what is your creed. And the whole time is trying to struggle with the nuances of the creed, which is good in one level. But on another level, you can start thinking about who's right, who's wrong, and you're always thinking of it that way. Who's right, who's wrong? I'm right, you're wrong. You're always looking at issues. This pastor says that we're going to ultimately be judged by the life we live. 
So first of all, it means love. It means agape love. It means being ready to be interrupted, to be flexible. I find this personally a bit challenging because I like to have a direction, I like to have a goal, and I don't really like to be interrupted, quite honestly. I want to get it done. It's my, my, it's my personality type. So I've got to hold back and be okay with, all right, these interruptions are all right. And so it, it's something that we all have to weigh. Thomas Kelly talked about it in living in passive mode. Jesus certainly had this ability where he would respond. He would have his plan, but when someone came along, touches the hem of his garment, and he senses the power go out, he doesn't carry on right there. He stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples are saying, what do you mean, who touched you? All kinds of people are touching you. You're in a big crowd. He says, no, somebody really touched me. He wants to seek that out. And then he spends quality time with her in, in the reality of her life and gives her the healing that she desires. But it comes from a willingness to be interrupted. And many people in our church community are better at that than I am. But we need to do it. We need to learn to engage. That's part of it. The Good Samaritan reveals that. So the story is teaching that. What else does the story show? Well, it points to this big piece that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. Jesus is the Good Samaritan for you and for me. So this is where grace, this is where mercy and kindness steps in, that Jesus knows us in our weakness, knows us in all of the ways that we tend to get mixed up and go aside. Jesus knows all that. He comes to each one of us. Even the person who should have known not to take that journey in the first place, that was a bad decision. Guy makes a bad decision, ends up getting beaten up. Now he needs to be taken care of by someone else. Jesus still goes to him in spite of that decision, not a great decision. Ever made a bad decision? We make bad decisions. Jesus comes. He shows mercy. He shows compassion. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. And he's the Good Samaritan for you and for me. Comes to us in our need. Comes to us in our mercy. And through grace, he continues to pour out grace upon grace. The language that Paul used. Grace upon grace. Jesus for you. Jesus for me. And all of us in our own situations, wherever we are right now, Jesus continues to be the Good Samaritan for you and for me. And that's how we end up having eternal life. Not ultimately through our doing, but through the mercy and kindness and compassion and grace of Jesus Christ who seeks us out, seeks us out while we're lost, and stays with us, just like the Good Samaritan does here. All those extra steps takes care. And so he will take care of us. So we ultimately look to him. Luke reminds us, keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to the Good Samaritan, the Good Shepherd, who is the shepherd of our souls. So Telechi writes, and with this I close, Jesus loves us and therefore he finds us. 
and therefore he also knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and still he does not drop us. Still he remains our friend, our nearest friend. Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer talk to you about as servants. I talk to you as my friends. We are his friends. We are his beloved. He stays with us. That is encouraging. Stays with us when we're strong. Stays with us when we're weak. Stays with us when we're sick. Stays with us when our community can all get together and we rejoice and celebrate of worship. Stays with us when we are isolated for whatever reasons by ourselves. Jesus is our good friend who's with us. And with that we say, amen.